This is Sports Best on the Believe Podcast Network, where we believe in the best of sports, and that's why each and every week we cut out the worst and only bring you the best. If you haven't done so yet, please click subscribe. I'm Andrew Keller, and that's Larry Olson. How are you, Larry? I officially subscribed last week. I know we're like nine shows in, but I did it last week. Thank you. So good. <laughs> I'm sure you've, you've shared with everyone you know, and you, and you post about it religiously. My, uh, my grandma on my wife's side is very conservative, so I didn't tell her. I thought we were too uh, risque for her. It is a little, it is a little risky, but uh, risque. You know, Andrew, uh, we like to summarize what's going on in the Korean baseball organization each and every week, let people know what's going on, because they're actually paying baseball over there. And so let's start at the top. The NC Dinos beginning to run away with the Korean baseball organization. They sit atop the league with a 31-13 and 13 record. They're in first place. But the big breaking news, Andrew, Uh-oh. for the first time all season long, Uh-oh. my team, the New York Yankees of the KBO, the Kia Tigers, have overtaken your team, Andrew, the Philadelphia oh. Phillies of the KBO, the LG Twins. The Tigers now sit at 24-19 and the t- Twins at 25-20. and So is the bet that we have that, that you have to win the entire league? Manra. Well, I know it's a Manra. Man, also, I'd like to point out that I love that the LG Twins are a different major league team every year. Last <laughs> week it was the Rockies, this year it was the Phillies. Maybe next year, uh, next week it'll be the Rangers. It might be, but this no, is no. not the this is not the important news about the KBO. We need to talk about. Okay. The big news from the KBO is that yesterday I'm going to kill this, but I'm going to try. Yuam Kinkubyob, Yuam Kinkubyob, the 52 year old manager of the SK Wilverns. He collapsed and lost conscience during the second inning of the game. Oh, wow. Did they say why? He's fine. He regained consciousness at the hospital. He's been told that he felt <laughs> he fainted because he was suffering from a lack of sleep, stress, and insufficient diet. Wow. He's <laughs> yes. working too hard. He's working too hard. Have you ever passed out from working too hard, Larry? No, I've never. That's <laughs> never happened. And I'm going to say it's never going to happen. <laughs> That's good. You know yourself. You know yourself well. But the funny thing is, my wife definitely probably has passed out from working too hard. <laughs> well, it's a good balance. I definitely have fallen asleep lots while I'm working and doing other things. That's narcolepsy. But <laughs> I think it's possible my fiance could have passed out from working too hard she has this ability to just put her head down and ignore pain grinding and look at us on easy street just <laughs> just cruising yes i have nothing to come with with yum king Koop Yoop. i think you you am king uh-huh. Koop Yoop. Uh. um anyways let's back let's back to american baseball andrew i feel like we've been talking about this for weeks for months maybe now the korean baseball organization has allowed fans to put uh, their pictures in seats at games, right? Fans that were yeah, big time in soccer in Europe as well. Soccer in Europe as well. It seems like officially we have the first team that has announced that season ticket holders can send pictures and put those pictures on seats somewhat close to where they should be sitting during the regular season. And that team is the San Francisco Giants. Nice. I think the Giants have always been pioneers in tickets and stuff because they were the first team to do the on-demand pricing. I forget what they called it, but they basically, each game was different. Like if you're playing the Yankees, bleacher seats might be $50, but if you're playing the Twins, they might be $20. And they like, they they changed how MLB does pricing. And so maybe they're just trendsetters in general. I mean, when you tell me that concept, doesn't it seem like they should have been doing that years ago? Like if the Twins should cost a buck and the Yankees should be 20 bucks. Yeah. 
Yeah, it should be. But uh, I think they didn't start that till about 15 or 20 years ago. I, I took a tour of then AT&T Park, and they, that was a little fact they told us. And if you really want to go about trendsetters, I, and, you know, once again, my history could be off, but they might have been the first ones to ever have garlic fries at a baseball game. Because of their proximity to Gilroy? I, but I feel like, I mean, you can now get garlic fries at Dodger Stadium, but I mm-hmm. feel like the Giants were the first to ever have garlic fries. Yeah, I th- that's probably fair. But the trendsetter in the new stadiums was the Orioles in Camden. They were the first one to do the throwback old-timey stadiums. And then I think Texas did it, and then uh, the Giants. Okay, so it's funny you say that. Texas, Texas has a new stadium that's opening this year. Yeah. They're like four they're, stadiums. I don't even know what stadium they're at anymore. It's, it's silly. They, they had that other one forever, and then they did the ballpark in Arlington, and then this new one so they could put a roof on it, which – it, honestly, if you see pictures, it looks like a giant tin shack. <laughs> yeah, I guess they have the, the money to do it. I have a question to you about baseball stadiums. Yes. Do you think, because now it's Oracle, it was AT&T, now it's Pac-Bell. Does that matter to you? Like, are you a purist that you are always going to call it Pac-Bell because you lived there when it, when it became Pac-Bell? Well, that's, dude, I mean maybe if Pac Bell was still in our vernacular, but that company went under, right? Yeah. So like Pac, I mean, if you told somebody like, I, I hate tell my kids like, Hey, what's a Pac Bell? They'd be like, I don't even know. Yeah. I've never heard of that term. Yeah. Pac-Man. So, so maybe Pac Bell, if they were, st- if that company was still around, maybe, but they're like gone. I I, baseball has so much history. I think it's so cool that Texas is the ballpark in Arlington. I think they do have a above the line sponsor now. They do. Or- but it's always going to be the ballpark and then Yankee Stadium. But the exception to me is the Staples Center for the Lakers. It's always – I mean, Staples just has that locked in. I don't know, the, the, just the history in baseball. Speaking of history, like, did you see that uh, old Bob Euchre is what? agreeing that he's going to do his 50th season announcing for the uh, – he's, he's been broadcasting Brewers games for 50 years. Yeah, he's 86 years old. And he's been in, he's been broadcasting for 55 because he was in Atlanta for a while. I didn't know. So he played, he played, and then he got brought on to do color commentary. And I heard him in an interview, and he's basically like, yeah, I, did, I didn't know what I was doing. They, they just gave me a job and kind of came naturally to him. And so when he first started doing play-by-play, they only gave him the fifth inning. He would do the fifth <laughs> inning, and that was it. I feel like there's people that have been in sports forever, and – like him and their story is always like well yeah i, I showed up to the, the stadium and they gave me a microphone and now like if i wanted to announce a game i don't think i could you know god forgive forbid me for saying this he's been announced for 50 years but he's still the character actor on mr belvedere personally <laughs> to you that's who he is that's yeah, who he, he is he's done a bunch he was on carson and uh, he got nicknamed mr baseball i think at 86 though he he met with the owners and he's like when they go back, I'm going to broadcast from Miller Park. He's going to go in the booth. He's going to get tested like everyone else. He doesn't seem like he's 80, 86. I want to – hopefully 50 years from now, you and I will be, will be fighting to keep doing sports best. But, well, that's one thing because, no offense, I'm doing it in my closet. But, yeah. like, if there's a worldwide pandemic in another 30 years, I don't know if I'm going to go outside. Well – you're less of a man than Mr. Euchre. <laughs> yeah, his favorite thing is when it's from Major Leagues where he goes, just a bit outside. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wish I could have a, a World Series, be a broadcaster 50 years, 
TV star. He's he's got it going, man. Still got a good, nice, full head of hair. And I was just about to say, and I think the most impressive thing about him is his head of hair. He has got great hair for an 80-year-old. Yeah, he's a stallion. <laughs> um, speaking of sports, baseball is going to go back. They're going to play, as you mentioned. Euchre's going to go to the stadium. There won't be any fans there, but he will be there. The NFL is not having to make any hard decisions yet because the season is still about two months or so away. So they haven't had to decide anything, but they're making some sort of soft decisions. They've already said you won't be fans won't be able to sit in the first six to eight rows of a stadium. And they're going to cover those with a tarp. Mm-hmm. Is that gonna, proximity to the players? That's exactly it. They don't want fans that close to the players. Eight rows um, is pretty far. <laughs> yeah. But, and they're going to allow um, those teams to sell advertising on the, on those seat covers. So they'll be able Mm -hmm. to make a little bit of money back there. But here's the one idea that pro football talk is saying, they're saying if fans are not allowed to go into stadiums, what some teams might do is sell parking spots near the stadium where people can tailgate. And then they're going to set up concession stands outside for like beer and food and programs. So these fans can pay to tailgate in the parking spot, then pay to buy a beer, but then can't pay to go in the game because nobody will be allowed in. Yeah, they just found a loophole in the system and a, and a way to make some more money, right? I mean, I think it's, I think it's I think it's a great idea to make for capitalism, but for safety wise, like if you're not allowed <laughs> to be in the stadium, then like what what are you gonna do in it's the parking a, lot? It's a great idea if not for the worldwide pandemic, Andrew. Yeah, I mean okay. they sell they sell parking spaces anyway, but it's gonna be a premium, right? Uh, I mean, okay, so the big million dollar question is: Would you pay to go tailgate? at a game of a team like the Buffaloes, for instance. So you do this. You did this to me a few weeks ago. And any <laughs> other team, no. But I don't know for CU. Something I always think about the NFL and what watching at home has become. So I looked it up. And in 2019, according to TicketCity.com, the average NFL ticket was $112 a person. So if you took your entire team without tax, it's $560. Or... You could buy a 60-inch TV for 400 What would you choose? Um, I'm going to take the TV. Uh-huh. Um, but it, it, I took my kids to my, my team, my people. Actually, took Uncle Kirk, too. You and I? Um, uh, no, I took them to a Raiders preseason game last year because uh-huh. the Raiders were moving to Las Vegas, and I wanted to make sure that my kids had, could say that they went to a Raiders game. How much did the Raiders pay you to show up? They didn't. Dude, it, it was preseason. I paid, don't tell Kirk this, but I, I think I only paid like 15 bucks. Wow. And I Kirk, told Kirk, I, Kirk I told him I paid 100. Kirk, I don't know if Kirk bought Kirk beers. came out behind in that, that whole thing. He <laughs> paid for parking, he paid for the beers. <laughs> no, but like, I mean, I, I, I'm sort of with you, right? I don't, I'd rather watch it on TV, but I yeah. did like the experience. And so it was really fun to go to a game, but not pay a million dollars. But it, it was so, the Raiders, in Oakland when they were there tailgated their a off they just literally it's insane how crazy and it was really fun to be part of that experience so I understand the passion of fans wanting to get there and be together uh there's definitely something about being in an event and saying you were at an event I was there when Alabama beat Texas in the 09 Rose Bowl for the national championship Humble brag. well that's well kind of it was a really <laughs> fun experience but I would have rather watched it on TV. There's so many TV breaks and it's just such a slow process and it's a different fan base. It's there. All that to say, like there's something about saying that you're at an event, but I don't know if people that are 18 and under 
10 years from now are going to want that experience because the at-home is so much better. Just to recap, I went to a crappy Raiders preseason game that cost me $5 to get in. You went to the College Football National Championship. I just, just sort of putting, the, you know, putting those two things out there. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of being safe at home, I don't know if you saw this, YouTube Originals has been putting out more content, content, and they announced that they're having the UHC, the Ultimate Home Championship, and it's going to be hosted by the UHC Commissioner, Steph Curry. <laughs> Have you heard about this? What is, what is the UHC? It's basically um, comprised of events like laundry hamper basketball, garage container hauling and diy high jump basically they're getting people that have some notoriety is like ronda rousey's one of the competitors and they have olympic athletes and basically they're raising awareness and all the proceeds are going to go to the un covid19 response fund i was watching it the the trailer for it and it felt like an snl commercial (laughs) like it doesn't feel real no, they, you see these guys, this Dirty. guy's carrying two rolling uh, trash cans behind him through his lawn. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, okay, so I understand um, what rolling container races would be. I understand what laundry hamper basketball is. Can you please ex- explain to me what DIY high jump is? I think you just grab stuff around your house and you stack it up and you want to see if you can clear it. I think like one guy stacked a bunch of just random stuff and jumped into his pool. He jumped over it. And I think you, you'll – my favorite part of the entire thing is the award that you win. If you win the UHC is you get the homie. <laughs> Which I feel like you would uh, – you would. that's perfect for you. You love, I would love the homie. Homie. Um, and Steph Curry, he, he hosts this thing? Yeah, he's the host. And it's he's, – he's a very charismatic person. He's very magnetic. But it's clear that he's not trained to be a host. Like, he seems awkward to me. I'm watching with a little bit more of a critical eye than most, but I don't, I don't know. I think it's, uh, I'm not going to watch. My, my kids, will, we will definitely peek at this because we watched the other Steph Curry show, um, Holy Moly, which is like this, it's like a, um, it's like a guacamole the, competition. It's a miniature golf. Basically it's like themed miniature golf where these people compete in miniature golf where there's like a, got to jump over the water and do a bunch of things. And my kids go eight bananas for the show. They love it. Chris Prather is a professional bowler who competes on the PBA Tour. He is known for winning the inaugural PBA Tour playoffs in 2019 and the PBA Tournament of Champions earlier this year. I feel like it's not appropriate to talk about how much money people make, but it does say on your bio that you've won more than $400,000 on the PBA. And I must add, He's bowled six perfect 300 games. Chris, when was the first time you bowled a perfect game? Ooh, uh, the first one that I remember, I, was, I think I was 11 or 12. And this, it wasn't like sanctioned or anything like that. It was just out there practicing. But that was the first time I remember actually uh, bowling a perfect game what uh, it, like- with, with anybody watching, really. The way you phrase that makes me think that maybe when you were three or four, you rolled a perfect game, but don't remember. <laughs> Seriously. 
Well, it, actually, in my, my very first, like, competitive tournament that I bowled, there was a singles tournament. Mm-hmm. I almost shot 300 in that tournament as well, and wow. I was nine. Yeah, like, there, there are a few kids around the country, around the world, really, that, you know, that are in that 9, 10, 11, 12 range that have bowled 300s. I, I believe the world record for youngest kid to bowl a 300, I think, is 11, 10 or 11. So, you know, it's, it's been done before, and uh, I think that a lot of that is, is quite a bit of luck, plus just natural talent for the kid. But, yeah, I mean, it's been uh, – tour says six, and uh, I don't keep track of those, so I'm glad that you knew the number. But I actually <laughs> – uh, if you ask me how many 300s I've shot in my entire, you know, career life, I, I honestly got to double digits and I was like, okay, I don't need to count anymore. Wow. And then, so <laughs> you, you wake up out of, you wake up out of bed shooting a 300. Come on now. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I would like to think that uh, on occasion I would, I'd have i uh, I'd have an opportunity at one. So you said you started pretty young. How did you get into the sport? I mean, does, is it, does it in your family? Yeah, my dad has been bowling basically his whole life, and uh, I've been telling this story more and more lately, but my birthday is January 1st, okay, and my dad had worked in the bowling center, so New Year's Eve, bowling is pretty big, and you know, they got the cosmic lights and everything like that, and it's just a big party, so he had my mom out there picking up the 15 and 16 pound house balls and all the house balls and like trying to get her to go into labor because if you're the first baby <laughs> born on January 1st, you get like all these kind of perks and things like that. And uh, so I was actually almost born in a bowling center because my mom went into labor while we were, uh, while, while they were still at the bowling center. Luckily the hospital was really close. What kind, of, what kind of perks are you talking about? Your mom does or you do? Uh, well, just the baby in general. I think back then, because I was born in 92, it was like free diapers. And then it was like formula and things like that for being wow. the first baby born. That's awesome. So, Chris, yeah. you, you were literally raised in a bowling alley. Like, yes. Yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, I can't think of like anything you were more destined to do in your life. I mean, did every, it was like your, basically your house, you ran amok of the bowling alley? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, every day after school, my dad would pick us up from daycare whenever he would get off work, and we would go back to the bowling center. And while the league was going on, I would be uh, down on a lane just bowling. And what I would do is I would go throw a shot or I'd bowl for a little bit, and then I'd go and watch my dad, and then I would try to copy him. Or I'd try mm-hmm. to copy another guy that I really like to watch. So growing up, once I started like watching TV on uh, or watching bowling on TV, I would watch like Chris Barnes and Robert Smith. And then I would try to go and like copy and do what they do and uh, and, and just try to mimic them and, and try to get my swing to do what theirs did and get my ball to hook like theirs did. And so it was just a lot of like mimicking. I never really had a real coach until I got to college at Wichita State. Uh, it was just a lot of like seeing other people do what they naturally do and then just trying to mimic them. So I'm a recreational bowler and maybe you can explain this to me. What's the difference between having like a resin ball and the amount of grip that you can get versus using a house ball, which I believe is like polyester or plastic? Yeah. So basically a resin bowling ball has a different kind of chemical construct than just a plastic one. 
So the, the cover stock has pores in the cover stock. They're microscopic and they basically just grip through the oil, kind of like a tire and just pick up that oil, create friction. Whereas a plastic ball is just solid. There's no real pores or if you look at it under a microscope, they look like little mountains. Mm. So there's not really any of that on the cover of a plastic ball, which is why they don't hook, um, okay. or why they don't create a lot of friction. They go really straight. The other thing that helps in a resin bowling ball is they have a weight block in the middle that will kind of generate, it's like the engine. So it'll create a faster rotation as it's traveling down the lane to get it to hook. Okay. So that's why like you maybe see it hook a little bit later because it's, it's gearing up and then it turns. Right. And then there's a lot of other technical things like differential, which is how much a ball will, will flare, which is how much it'll uh, travel from its axis and uh, RG, which is rotation and gyration. Yes. And it will uh, also affect where the ball starts to hook. So the lower the number of rotation and gyration, the earlier the ball will start to hook, the higher the rotation and gyration, the later the ball will start to hook. So if you were not in season, would you ever roll with a house ball? Or is that just like, um, no if I was If I was going with a bunch of friends that don't really bowl, which uh -huh. uh, because I bowl all the time is virtually none of them. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would probably, I would probably do that, but I actually like, I don't really bowl that often. Like right now in the summer, plus with the whole COVID stuff going on, I'm not really bowling a whole lot. I like to go fishing. Uh, fishing is my thing oh. in the off season. So like I went and practiced for like an hour yesterday, but the four days before that I went fishing every day. So it's, uh, I, I, I try to, <laughs> yeah, I try to, <laughs> I try to make sure that I practice at least once a week, but uh, sometimes fishing takes precedence over it. Some yeah. people say, would say you have the dream life, you bowl and fish. Um, you mentioned this briefly, you played bowling at Wichita State. Did you get a bowling scholarship to Wichita State? I did, I did. Um, that, that's a real, like, I feel like I'm a man of the world a little bit. I didn't know there was bowling scholarships. Yeah, it's actually uh, grown in popularity over the last few years. The big one is actually women's bowling because women is uh, – there are certain schools like Vanderbilt, which is the one that Danielle went to. But, the, like, Vanderbilt has women's bowling, and it is huge. Obviously, Vanderbilt, incredibly difficult school to get into, but they are actually an NCAA sport. So women can get a full ride for bowling. Yeah, men – on the other hand, is more of like a club sport. So we can still get scholarship, but it's not going to be a full ride. Oh, that's like rugby. So. I think Utah is the only one that has a varsity rugby team. Everything else is club. Is there, right. is there any etiquette as far as like talking to your opponent, opponents during um, a tournament? Like, can you talk trash? Can you, can you whisper something as they walk up? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, typically there's none of that. Now, I have been told that my voice carries a little bit. Uh -huh. So if, like, I'm back talking uh, to somebody, like, obviously, there's a bunch of noise with the machines and other people bowling and things like that. So th there is noise there, but apparently my voice carries a little bit and mm -hmm. some other people's do as well. So 
I have to, and my wife tells me this all the time, I have to focus on talking quieter. I'm sure I'm going to be getting told that once I'm off the phone with you guys. <laughs> but yeah, it's, Noonan. there's there's no real like, hey, you're going to miss this or. Noonan, uh, Noonan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, is there something that I'm missing in a bowling match when I see it on TV in that, is there a strategy? Because it seems like bowlers, you just want to get a strike or pick up the spare. Is there some other strategy that I'm missing? Yes. So the, the main strategy is that you would think that you're bowling, at least this is the way that I look at it. You would think that you're bowling the other guy, right? Yeah. Okay. But in reality, you're bowling the lane because the lane is telling you what it wants to do, wants, what it wants you to do to strike, right? Because you can't see the oil, can't see where the oil is not at, obviously. So in the way that I go into like a TV match or even just like a regular match play match is I think, okay, this is how the, the lane machine put the oil out, okay, whatever it is. So I create a game plan to either take oil away from a spot or put oil into another spot down lane because mm -hmm. every time you throw that bowling ball, it moves the oil around. Mm -hmm. So I try to move the oil around to where it would benefit me and not necessarily hurt my opponent, but not help them. Okay. If that makes any sense. And the other bowler has the exact same thought, I would imagine. It feels so, like chess. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit of a strategy game. And that's what I think people miss is because every single time you throw the ball, that oil moves in a certain way. Either it's getting taken up by the bowling ball or it's getting pushed down the lane a little bit further and it's creating, it's changing every single shot. And uh, I think a lot of spectators miss out on that, that you have to be creative and visualize exactly what you're seeing. And the blue oil has helped out a ton because you, the spectators can actually go back and look and see. And I know Randy does a lot of the close-ups and everything like that uh -huh. uh, on TV and shows you how it's breaking down. But I don't think that he's ever really explained in detail what that does and what that means. So you may or may not have a story because you've been doing this so long and you've been competing for so long, but I can imagine if I was on TV and I was going to roll one bowling ball, it would definitely go in the gutter. Do you remember that feeling the first time you were televised? <laughs> yes, actually I do. Uh, because the, so the first television show I ever made was the players championship in Columbus, Ohio. And I was bowling really, really well. I think I was leading the tournament at one point, but I, get onto the TV show, take pictures, and I'm feeling good. Like, I'm happy, I'm relaxed, everything's good. And then go to sleep. People talk about not being able to sleep the night before. I sleep great. Like, I feel well-rested, wake up, eat breakfast. I'm not nervous, feeling great, you know, and then do practice. And then I sit down in the chair. And I'm like, okay, well, you can start the match. I, You know, I want to go second. So – get up there, pick up my ball, put my hand in, get set. And then I'm like, oh, crap. I'm about to bowl on TV for the very first time. And then I couldn't feel my legs. Like, everything was great <laughs> until I was ready to throw the shot. And I'm pretty sure that I missed the head pinch to the right. I, I probably almost threw in the gutter. But I'm pretty sure that I went miss head pin, strike, miss head pin, strike, and then finally hit the head pin on the right lane. Like, it took me half a game to – make it to where I could feel my legs again and, and get at least a little comfortable 
on TV to where I could throw a competent shot. Wow. Okay, yeah. Chris, before, before you get on out of here, I want to have you just quickly give me some descriptions of some um, bowling terms, if you're, if you're ready for them. Okay, good. What's a Brooklyn? Ooh, that's where you cross over and, and hit the other side of the pocket. So <laughs> typically a right-hander would want to hit the, the head pin, the one in the front, and the pin just to the right of it. And a Brooklyn is when you hit the other side of the head pin and the one to the left of it. Okay, what's a sleeper? Ooh, a sleeper is the, we call it, we also call it double wood, where it's typically like the two pin, which is the one just to the left of the head pin and the one directly behind it. So the pins are very like stacked on top of each other. What's a ham bone? Ooh, four in a row. Rob Stone loves that. <laughs> uh, the mother-in-law? Ooh, I don't know that one, but I, I would, if I had to guess, it's a... We also call it the Greek church, the mother-in-law. Uh, I, I think. I've n I haven't heard that one in a while. Uh, and the last one, what's a sour apple? Ooh, that is the 5710, also known as the lily. <laughs> That's so great. Uh, Chris, you're absolutely uh, wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. You can uh, follow his Facebook page at, at Bowling Crate. That's a fun follow if you got some fun stuff on there. Also, you can uh, Google or YouTube some of his 300 games, which I did, and it was really fun to watch you uh, bowl a perfect game on YouTube. Chris, thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. That was Sports Best on the Believe Podcast Network, where we believe in the best of sports, and that's why each and every week we cut out the worst and only bring you the best. Until next week, I'm Andrew Keller for Larry Olson saying thanks for stopping by.